So hi, this is Robert Cahoon on The Pulse once again, and I'm really blessed and honoured once again to have Joanna, Joanna Bogle, who is a veteran of Catholic history in the United Kingdom and also has a group doing Catholic history walks around London on a regular basis, showing, um, showing parishioners and tourists and uh, other people some of the gems and riches of Catholic heritage in the UK. And this is what we're talking about today, Catholic heritage. Uh, I want to look at how we can promote Catholic heritage in the UK, some of the beautiful stories of our Catholic past from Newman, Chesterton, Thomas More, uh, the Reformations, monasteries, Northern Saints, Walsingham. We've got this beautiful, rich Catholic history in the UK. And um, talking with Joanna today, how we can bring that to life to share that with others as a tool for evangelization, but also about knowing our own history, connecting and loving our own history and connecting with visitors and other people that visit the UK as well, hearing about her tours in London and also what would help, help others to share uh, share and know about our Catholic history. So Joanna, how are you today? I'm sitting here at my computer looking out at bright sunshine and reflecting that uh, now that the warm weather has come, I'm not a hot weather person actually, but most people enjoy it, so there it is. And now that the wretched uh, coronavirus thing seems to have receded, I'm able to tackle all my Catholic history walks again, and I'm looking forward to doing it. I've got a lot of things booked for the summer. I love it. Uh, I love leading people, particularly around London and the areas uh, beyond London that are reachable, that are now suburbs and were once villages. And I'm relishing doing that. And the sunshine is beckoning me to do it. And, and, and Joe, tell us about um, the Catholic history walks that you do around London. So some of the best routes that you do and just some of the treasures of London that are encompassed in the walks. Right. Well, the first thing that's uh, fun to think about uh, with London is that it's not just Catholic history. It's all our history is in one sense Catholic history. And London, uh, everyone knows this uh, or should, uh, it was called Londinium by the Romans, probably because the old god that the Romans discovered, the people here, uh, the ancient Britons, if you like, were worshipping was a King Lud. Uh, you will still find references to King Lud around London, uh, not least in a, in a pub on Ludgate Hill and so on. So they called it Londinium, Lud. The, the Roman city of Lyon in France seems to have the same origin. So all the history that we've got it begins really with the Romans. So if you go to the city of London, the square mile around St Paul's Cathedral, bordered by the Tower of London at the entrance to the city, if you like, uh, if you approach the city by river from the North Sea, as so many invaders or, or would-be invaders have done, and then you have uh, St Paul's on the highest hill, St Paul's Cathedral, and you have everything is guided by the river. The one liquid we can't do without is water, so all the great cities of the world are on a, on a river. That's really the framework for the city. And to the west of the city, you have Westminster. Of course, it's all now merged with London in one, one big conurbation, but our last Saxon king, Edward, Edward the Confessor, uh, founded a minster to the west of London. And yes, there was an Eastminster too. At the far end of the district line on the tube, you'll find Upminster, uh, which reminds us of all of that. But Westminster, still this day, centres on the Abbey. We say Westminster Abbey, 
which is a bit like saying Westminster Minster. Uh, and of course, it's where our monarchs are crowned, where our unknown warrior lies in state, where our heroes and heroines are honored and so on. So that's a separate city. And there are walks there around parliament. That's a Norman word, of course. We still talk about parleying sometimes when we are negotiating something from the French parler, also giving us the word parlor, the room where you sit and chat. So there are separate walks around Westminster, separate walks around the city, and both are only the start of a much wider history uh, all around London. And so I do a range of history walks. Uh, they're cheap. You just turn up, pay five quid if you want to. I have books uh, that you can get from me. And it's a good day. We often finish in a pub. Sometimes people just say, I want to stay longer and can't. And after an hour or an hour and a half, they, they peel off. We're always near a tube or bus or railway station. And that's my history walks. I love them. And I've yet to find anyone who hasn't enjoyed one, rain or shine. And it's catholichistorytours.com for more information on your tours. Uh, www.catholichistorywalks. Yes, yes. Just Google Catholic History Walks. You'll get them. What I find really striking about our Catholic heritage is, you know, we, we have Chesterton has this huge following in the US and Newman is a, is a popular saint, uh, along with Thomas More, we have such incredibly rich history, um, which isn't always recognised in this country or taught particularly well in schools. Um, a lot of the Reformation history is, is buried and kind of you know, either in ruins or, or just, you know, in, in history books. How can we bring this topic to, obviously you are bringing this topic to life in, in teaching people live as a, as a guide around London. You know, how can we bring this topic to, to the full beauty and riches of the, the lives of Chesterton and Newman, etc., um, Thomas More, to, to bring them to life in, in, in a much more tangible way for, for people to, sh- to share our faith? And, and how can we use that as a tool of, for evangelization? Well, a number of ways, and none of them are difficult. I, I would say, first of all, yes, you've mentioned people who are popular in America. It, it, it's wrong to suggest they're not known here. Newman is a very, yeah. very popular saint. And our Catholic saints uh, are the names of schools and youth groups and so on. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't go quite with you that it's unknown. The problem is people don't really link things together. Uh, I, I would say, for example, that um, most Catholics in Britain are well aware of our martyrs of the Reformation era. Uh, they're the names of many of our Catholic schools. For, for example, the new the Catholic secondary school opened in Richmond-upon-Thames a few years ago is named Richard Reynolds. So this is a name shouted at netball matches and announced uh, by children uh, locally who have never heard of any other local hero but know about Richard Reynolds. So I'm not, I'm not convinced uh, that people don't know, but they don't place them, if you like, in context. Most Catholic kids will know about Thomas More. Many schools are named after him. A number of churches are named after him. I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's that they don't know. It's more they can't place it, place all this in any kind of context. When John Henry Newman was canonized by by Pope Francis, there was a lot of interest, a lot of enthusiasm. And he is widely honored too, as is Thomas More, beyond the Catholic uh, community. He's a great, great figure uh, whose hymns are still widely sung and whose story in general terms, famous man was Anglican, becomes Catholic, becomes a Cardinal, is, is sort of known. I think we've got to teach things a little bit more generally and instead of just in isolation. But I would start Mm -hmm. by saying 
I don't agree that our history is not known. It is, but we need to do more about it and we need to make it more interesting. So how to do that? Well, first of all, I think there needs to be an understanding that our Catholic history is our country's history. If you need to understand our history, you have to understand it's been recorded by the church. The first person really to write down our history in any readable way was Bede, the man we call the Venerable Bede, a Saxon saint. Uh, go to Durham and find out all about him. Um, and he set down our history going back before the Saxons invaded. And just in case nobody knows, what we call the Saxon invasions was effectively the barbarian invasion of the Roman Empire. As the Roman Empire in Britain and everywhere else crumbled, so the pagans invaded across the borders. By this time, the Roman Empire, including Britain, it wasn't England then, it was Britain, um, was, was Christian. So as the Christian Roman Empire crumbled, the pagans invaded. And what we call the Anglo-Saxon invasions is really better known by wider historians in other countries as the barbarian invasion of the crumbling empire. Well, these barbarians, Saxons, were converted in their turn. That in itself is a long story, a very long story. Uh, being a Londoner, I tend to know it from the southern angle, and I know about Augustine being sent by Pope Gregory the Great uh, to Canterbury and Kent. Uh, but there are other saints, and the conversion of our English people, the Anglo-Saxons, whose language I speak to you in at the moment, uh, uh, began then. <laughs> and you could say it's still a work in progress. What about the ancient Britons, the Romano-British? Well, they moved in general terms westward to the country we today call Wales. That's the Saxon word, Walsh, Falsh, uh, false, we say in our modern English. They were not false, uh, they were not strangers. They were the original Romano-Brits and they live in the country that English people call Wales. The Welsh, of course, don't call themselves Wales. They don't think they're strangers. And also Cornwall, same origin, uh, which on very old maps you will see is described uh, sometimes as West Wales. I grew up in a place called Wallington, which is the same route, and the, the river crossing of the Thames at Wallingford, same route, Wall, Wall. So did they become Christian? Yes, uh, they too uh, have a Christian heritage going all the way back to the Romans and then the Saxons, uh, that's probably people like me, I suppose. I think my background is Anglo-Saxon, really. Uh, we were reconverted. So those two strains give us our origins. Now that should be taught. That should be taught. I think Catholics have a tendency to want to start our history in the wrong place. Everybody wants to start it uh, at the Reformation. But the church had been here for centuries and centuries and centuries before the events of the Reformation. So we should start with the beginning of the faith in our country, that Roman Empire into which Christ our Saviour was born and through which the faith came here. Then, as that empire crumbles, the church remains strong and Pope Gregory sends missionaries to the Anglo-Saxons. And when the Normans come, they build bigger and grander churches. And we have the great medieval period, not without its faults, but full of many achievements, founding of Oxford University, Cambridge University, building of our great cathedrals, parish system throughout Britain. The events of the Reformation merely are part of a continuing story. And I do think Catholics should stop starting our 
story are in the wrong place. Tell the story from the beginning. Explain our place names, our language, our saints, our traditions, our folklore. Then you can bring in later history, of course, but start at the beginning, not in the middle. I think that's a great point. And I mean, just to qualify uh, what I said earlier about Newman, Chesterton, Moore, you know, these people are well known in the UK. Absolutely. You know, they might not be on the level of Shakespeare in terms of universal knowledge of everybody knowing knowing about them. Um, but um, certainly, you know, there are people in other countries that, uh, you know, certainly America, there is quite a big sort of Chesterton following. And I think the question I have is, is how do we connect the dots here between sharing our faith, the evangelization, with also sharing our own Catholic history, the heritage, bringing that to life? And, you know, we've got 20 million tourists on a usual normal year in, in, to the UK and to London. Um, how do we share our faith in, in, in a way that is genuinely life-giving, but, but also brings some of this, this rich heritage you're, you're talking about and, and bring well, it to life in a really tangible way? Right. Uh, well, there are lots of ways of doing this. One, start your own history walks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Any group can do it. I, I do really London. I, 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 I can't whiz around the country leading people on history walks. And, uh, but there is nothing to stop a, uh, an individual who is well qualified. So first, learn your history. But offer a walk around your town. I mean, have a go, you know. Um, contact Catholic schools. They are often very interested in a speaker who will tell them about local history. So think about local history rather than Catholic history. Don't, don't start in the middle and think, oh, Catholic history. St. Teresa's Church was built in 1930. Not interesting. Not really. Not till you explain who St. Teresa is and why they built the church. Start with Christ, start with the Roman Empire, start with how the faith came here. Very interesting. It's not difficult to find out, but it is important. Don't start in the middle and don't start with something uh, uh, that, that, that might personally intrigue you, but it is not necessarily where everybody else is. So I would say start some local venture, but I'm particularly keen to get it taught in schools. There is probably room, probably room, and I'd help to help with this, for a conference for Catholic teachers and catechists, how to bring our story alive. <clears throat> and incidentally, <clears throat> there are, yes, uh, modern Catholic figures of interest to some uh, people uh, who has not read Chesterton and enjoyed him, but I, I don't think you would start by telling people about J.K. Chesterton. Um, I really would tell the whole story and particularly of your local area. Why is the church, the old, ancient, now Anglican parish church, so named. What are the local pubs? Find the old ones. Why are they called that? Why is the town that name? And most people know, and if they don't, they should find out. Chester means castra, camp, that's Roman. Ford, Anglo-Saxon name, meaning a river crossing. Now these things are standard, but explain who were the Romans. By the time the Roman Empire finished, they were, they were Christian. Or if you want to do a general thing instead of local, Start with obvious things. Who was St. Alban? We have a town named after him, a city named after him, Great Abbey there. Not difficult, he's a Google click away. Our first Romano-British martyr, and so on and so on and so on. So I would say, go further back into history, start with origins and add quirky, <clears throat> enjoyable, fun information. 
find out the origin of the song London Bridge is Burning Down. It, it, it seems to be linked to a Viking battle. It might not be, and you can qualify that, say, you know, some historians think, etc. but it might be uh, the uh, reference to Our Lady in the song. Find out the origin of your town, your village, its name, its purpose. Why is it there? A river crossing? A battle? Why is it there? Markets? If you build a bridge, it's a very Christian thing to do, building bridges. Uh, bridges connect you with the people on the other side. So they tend to be something that Christians and interesting people do because they want to move about. They want to cross rivers. They want to sell their produce. So river crossings are always of great importance uh, in our civilization. And local saints, local saints. Find out the name of your local saint because you might find he's incorporated into the name of your town, certainly into the name of your parish church. Find out, but don't, don't, start, don't start by saying, I'd like to tell you about Evelyn War. No, he's a very brilliant, interesting modern novelist, but I wouldn't start from there. I would start with the whole, the whole rich history and make it fun. <clears throat> Assume that the bits of history you do know, Romans, Saxons, have some Catholic relevance. They do. The whole story is about Christianity. And if we don't get that, we, we won't get this bigger picture. So for I'm, the... I'm talking rather wildly, but you can see I'm very interested in it. You bet. Well, um, for the pre-Reformation history, um, you know, sounds a basic, um, simple question, this bit yeah. of a generalisation, but m many of the buildings are not standing today, or, you know, we, we do have ancient churches and ancient buildings, absolutely, but you know, for a lot of the um, pre-Reformation churches, for example, are, are not standing. How do we bring this part of history to life, um, which doesn't have so much kind of... Uh, we, we have monastic ruins, for example, which are great yes. for bringing the Reformation to life, but, but how do we bring this pre-Reformation period that, that doesn't have the kind of historical infrastructure still standing or visible today? How, how can we bring that to well, life? I would start by saying that a lot of it is still visible. So yeah. start with the things that are there, our great cathedrals. Yeah. Th th there is this sort of Catholic idea that they don't count. They do. They were Catholic for centuries. And today there is usually great openness. Uh, many of the history guides that lead you around a town, a city in particular, a cathedral are Catholic. I mean, of course. So they tend to tell the Catholic version. If you go, for example, to the Tower of London, you'll find a lot of the beef eaters are Catholic. So think along those lines, assume uh, that you can do this and think too about becoming uh, such a guide. But if you want to take, for example, some children around a cathedral, you won't find they've all been destroyed. On the contrary, We're, uh, one of the great riches of our country, which we ignore, are the great parish churches and cathedrals. Most were not destroyed at the Reformation. What was destroyed were monasteries and abbeys. And you can visit the ruins. And these days, the ruins will usually go into considerable trouble if they are owned, for example, by English heritage. They will bring to life the monks and you will have pictures and scenes of the monks. Sometimes they even have a video. People are dressed up as monks and they walk in choir and sing. So if you go to some of our big or even our small ruins, tell the story. You will find there's masses of information there to help. Now, I, I've been to a great many ruined abbeys. We lived uh, for a while in Yorkshire, and I remember Revo and Jervo and Easby, all wonderful to visit. In Somerset, you've got, you know, Cleve and Glastonbury, and these are just the names I'm thinking about. So if you visit abbey ruins, you will not uh, find that they're difficult to discover. You will find guidebooks, you will find maps, you may find sort of touristy stuff with, you know, sort of cream teas available nearby. So 
take a Catholic route there and tell the story. Yes, they may be ruins, but they're usually magnificent ruins. And it's worth explaining what it was like using the material that you will find there. Now, our great cathedrals, now Anglican, again, you will find guidebooks galore and all sorts of interesting things. The difficulty is you do have to persuade people to go, uh, and children in particular will think, oh, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to look around an old building. And certainly when I was a child, we tended to go and look around glorious old churches and cathedrals on days when it was too cold and wet to go to the beach, and I wanted to go to the beach. You, you have to make it interesting to children. But I have to say that uh, my parents did make it fun and I learned how to read, if that's the, the right expression, and I, I think it is, stained glass. You could pick out St. Peter, he'd be holding keys. You can always see who Christ is because there's always, always a cross in his halo. Mary is, of course, usually depicted wearing blue and so on. Now, give some children some information like that and you will find there are books guidebooks even sometimes quizzes and look out for this produced by people who really know their history so make use of this the thing is you have to you have to make it fun and interesting for children and it's a very good idea to do this if you do it through a school or a, or a group a confirmation group you make it the fun part the, the day when you're not sitting in the church hall uh, learning something but it's, it's an it's an outing now these things have to be organized I mean it can be a bit of a bore um, especially with a school oh dear they make you do a risk assessment this sort of thing but it's worth the effort so mug up the history find out what is available and it is it is not difficult to do it and organize a, a, a group you will find that children inevitably <coughs> sorry uh, children are inevitably more interested in where they can eat their packed lunch and what mum has put in it and uh, where can they get an ice cream and all that. Uh, these things can be a, a bit of a nuisance. It's more fun with adults where they just cope uh, with all that. But do, do, do it. And families can do this, of course, or they can group together. I, I would say don't, don't overdo the sort of now this is all serious going on a pilgrimage. It's more fun if you do it as, as a matter of a routine. Of course, yeah. while we're here, we must do this. What fun, you know. Adventure. Well, some of the fa uh, favourite places I've been to with uh, friends from abroad have been uh, Chesterton's grave, Thomas More's cell in the Tower of London, um, Newman's um, where he lived um, up in the Birmingham Oratory, Littlemore, um, also Lindisfarne um, and yeah. Holy Islands, um, Riveau Abbey. So we've just got so many. What's what's some of your favourite places that you you visit? Right. You, know, you focus uh, in London a lot, but what's some of the favourite Catholic locations? Right. Um, uh, well, I would say the great ruined abbeys uh, across our country. Some are better known than others. Glastonbury is, is a favourite. It's now known as a rock festival and um, as all sort of a silly, bogus uh, spooky groups that meet there so claim it back just go and enjoy nice little catholic church there too uh, so glastonbury remains a favorite place the i mentioned the ruined abbeys of yorkshire i'm particularly fond of them and i have happy memories of living nearby particularly easeby i remember wading across the river there to, to to get to the abbey ruins in the evening sunshine it's fun to find where the monks had their refectory not hard to find um, it, it's all labelled usually uh, quite easily. So, and you eat your sandwiches there, which is fun too. 
Um, I've been to mass uh, in the ruined abbeys. Uh, many parishes organize that, not difficult to get permission. Uh, celebrate mass in the place where mass was celebrated before the abbey was, was closed. Walsingham, of course, is wonderful. Magnificent ruins there. Mass regularly celebrated there with great uh, pilgrimages and large groups. So find interesting places and, and go. A parish group can often uh, have mass. Incidentally, if you go to the Tower of London, yes, you can go to Thomas Morsell. You need to make a, an appointment to go there, but he's widely venerated in the Tower. If you go to the chapel, for which you don't need anything special, just go. The, ch the chapel in the Tower of London is dedicated to St. Peter Advincula, Peter in chains, he too was in prison. You'll find a shrine to St. Thomas More there. Uh, there's a memorial too to John Fisher and go to the church nearby uh, all hallows by the tower you will find John Fisher is very much venerated there so just go to, to anywhere that takes your fancy incidentally another explanation when um, when I was showing people all hallows by the tower the immediate reaction was oh spooky hallows it means holy a hallowed place is a holy place but because people tune into the word Halloween which means or eve of all saints they think it means something spooky you have to get over these these barriers first to explain the origins of words and do that in a in a light way newman yes um littlemore is well worth a visit in london you will find his birthplace is marked by a blue plaque um at the back of the bank of england his father was a well-to-do banker there's also a, a, a plaque uh, in the house where the family subsequently moved to in Bloomsbury and a very beautiful walk uh, can take you along the Thames from Richmond, where the local uh, Catholic church is well worth visiting, Church of St Elizabeth. It has a story of its own, goes back to the 1820s. Um, but a walk from there down along the river to Ham, you'll find John Henry Newman's family's country home. I think these are very important places to visit so enjoy all of these and Newman pilgrimage is fun walking around London you need to plan it because otherwise you find you're stomping along city streets on a hot day is rather boring but you can find places not hard to, to enjoy lunch either eat out you know go to a cafe but take a, a picnic and every park is worth visiting and they they of course have catholic links St. James's Park. Why was it St. James's Park? There was a leper colony there. St. James, one of the apostles, gives his name to a royal palace. If you write to the Queen today, you will get a letter back from our court of St. James. Every little corner of, of great cities has got a story. I, I'm not so much a favor, uh, in favour of going somewhere relatively obscure. I think it's better to get a general view of history and grow from there. Mm -hmm. uh, start with what you know. It can be a bit disappointing. I remember somebody wanting to take me to a grave of some Catholic, and I it was all right, as cemeteries go, there it was. But I, I think you need to start with the place names, the stories, yeah. the saints, the heroes that shaped our whole country's history. And yes, fold it in with other history. Uh, if you go to St. James's Park, you will find you are walking past Churchill's war rooms. Of course, children will be interested. And yes, take them in. It's a very good place for a rainy day. It's undercover. And explain why Britain was in her finest hour fighting the evil Nazi regime. We had a Christian history that gave us that understanding of what to do and why we should do it. And fold all this together. I, I think children can be a bit bored by being taken to one particular place of a, of a writer. Uh, fold in this larger story. And within that, people will find their own 
their own fascination. I, I guess what I'm really trying to do here is to um, to popularise cafe heritage or just to to really you know appreciate the gems, the riches, the beauty of our cafe heritage and to, to bring it to life. I, I remember doing the Camino to Santiago um, mm, nearly 10 years wonderful. ago. Mm. And I mean, it, on the one hand, it was incredibly unspoiled, which was part of the charm. And, you know, it was very untouristy. Uh, it was, uh, despite the number of people that did the trail, there was, you know, very simple signs everywhere and just completely un unspoiled. And that, that was really part of the charm of it as well. Um, and, you know, it would be, it'd be dreadful if it was all sort of touristy and commercialised yeah. in that sense. Um, but, you know, I, I feel that we do have hidden treasures. We've got hidden gems as part of our Catholic heritage, especially the Reformation periods, um, these incredible ruins and, and, and just how we bring this topic to life in, 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 a, in a godly way and in, in a way that appreciates, mm. appreciates the history, makes it well taught in our schools. You know, 20 million tourists a year. You know, most of them will know, you know, not what we, we know about our, our history. But, and it also is, an, an, you know, in, have you had opportunities for evangelization as part of your tours? Yes, very you know, much just, so. Just uh, captivating so. people's imagination of just like, wow, you know, this was part of our, our history. And yeah. then, you know, it leads to further questions about yeah. the faith. I think, so, I, think, yeah. I think where I part company from you is this word yeah. wars and hidden. See, it isn't yeah. hidden. Okay. The Catholic Church, uh, we are the... Catholics are the largest number of Christians at mass at church in, on any given Sunday. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make us big. It means the others are very small. Yeah. We, are, we are not hidden. On the contrary, when the Pope came to Britain, it was major news. The second papal visit in my lifetime. I mean, it's not hidden. John Paul became one of the most famous people on the planet. And when he visited Britain, it was dominant news, even that was taking place in the middle of the Falklands War. You know? All our history is bound up with Catholic history. And at this point in the 21st century, Catholic faith in Britain is more open and prominent than it's ever been. The Reformation era is over and the rebuilding in the 19th century rediscovered a whole lot of things and made them normal. Most towns and suburbs have a Catholic church and it will probably be the most obvious church on Sunday mornings in terms of the cars arriving and the people coming and going. And I'm not sneering at other denominations. I'm just stating it as a fact. Now, not nearly enough people go to mass. Uh, most Catholics in Britain don't go. Our Catholic schools are filled with boys and girls whose parents fibbed about how much they practiced the faith because they liked the school and thought the uniform was smart and the kids would do well in life. We all know this. But the plain fact is that we're there. The Catholic schools are there. 10% of British children are educated in them. And we are present. It, it's not a hidden thing. The mm -hmm. thing to do is make use of it. And w when you have the possibility to do some evangelizing, you do it by starting from where you are. For example, we're all going to visit a ruined abbey. Of course, they'll notice it's ruins. I mean, we know it's ruins. Woo. So explain that. You might uh, do some nice stuff as well. Think of Wordsworth's uh, poem on Tinton Abbey. Explain that the abbey's being ruined is part of our story. And this is something that is universally mourned. It's not just a Catholic thing. Uh, Charles, uh, John Wesley, who Anglican, who created, in effect, uh, the Methodist uh, church, uh, he mourned the loss of the abbeys and said, if it had been for this destruction alone, if he'd only done that, Henry VIII uh, is to be condemned. Everybody knows that we once had these great abbeys, but they're also important as our 
as part of our story, the ruins is a tragedy. So share this as a big piece of information, a large shaping of our history that created poetry, gr grief uh, at the loss of something that is part of our story. And uh, instead of it being, a, a sort of, it's not secret, but they're very well known, uh, follow the guidebooks and the information and the videos and all the information and make it clear, this is about us now. Catholics, of course, understand deeply because we will be going to Mass on Sunday. We know what the church is for. One of the things that's sad is that with <laughs> every year that passes, fewer and fewer people in the general culture of Britain know anything at all about the idea of the Eucharist. So quite often, oh, very often, when I'm giving a talk, and I don't talk just as I am now, I, I, it's more relaxed, it's more warm, it's easier, you know, but I gather a group around me of people who hadn't chosen to come on a history walk and they say oh can we join in they're fascinated you say this is where the altar stood this is where the priest would take the bread and wine as we do as we do now um at uh you know and then you name a church people as we do now you know westminster cathedral or something people are fascinated and especially if you speak with with reverence and respect of something holy and you make it clear this is all about now this happens now. Uh, we, we are Christians. It's all part of our story. Um, I, I think it, it, it's not something we should assume people will find difficult or unpleasant. I, I, it, it's beautiful. And also buy guidebooks and use them and think about creating good material from these uh, in schools. Don't just rely on, uh, on the Internet. Catholic schools don't do enough uh, to show children beautiful and interesting things. Uh, children crouch in, in front of screens for far too long. So buy and uh, obtain guidebooks and, and so on and show children, look, this is this and this and this and this, since so-and-so did this and this was built in this century and, and share it. And incidentally, um, the big push now is for children to go to university. Obviously, a lot of our modern universities have very little history, but our great universities do. So find out why is there a university at Durham? Find out about Oxford and Cambridge. Use what we've got and don't assume that it's something that's going to be difficult to find out about. It really well isn't. And uh, Joanna, which, who is your favourite British saint and also favourite location to visit to, oh. um, to share Catholic heritage? Well, it's so difficult, isn't it? Favourite British saint. <laughs> Tough. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's very difficult. I've always loved St. George. Uh, he was a Roman soldier, very brave. Um, I'm the daughter and wife of soldiers, you know. Um, so I find him attractive. And incidentally, St. George's Cathedral at Southwark, it's Victorian, but it's, it's worth a visit. Um, but so there'd be him. I, I am attracted by that. I love the idea of Our Lady of England. Uh, there's, there's so much in that, not only in Walsingham, but it's a very, very strong part of our culture. But I think in the end, I'd have to go for beloved, beloved John Henry Newman, partly mm -hmm. because he's near us. He's, you've mentioned him often. He is near us. The London he knew is very, very different from the London of today, but it wasn't very different from the London of my childhood in the 60s, before these uh, soaring office slabs uh, soaring to the skies were, were created in the last 20, 30 years. The London that I knew when I was young, and even in the 70s as, as a young journalist, was 
was not so different from the London John Henry Newman knew. Uh, he travelled by train. He lived at a time of rapidly increasing industry. Of course, he lived when we had a great empire. He lived in a confident but different Britain. But in another way, he, he is near us. And I, I can identify with him in a way that I can't identify in one sense with brave heroic people wearing doublet and hose or, or medieval people whose ideas of what it was to be a Catholic are, are, are so remote from mine in the everyday way. Before industrialization, before railways, you know, it's, it's difficult to think yourself into, into a culture so different. The faith changed, but, you know, everyday life does. Newman's everyday life was a bit more something I can understand. So I find he teaches me about holiness in the modern city, holiness in the suburbs, Holiness when I'm struggling with everyday things like, oh, I don't know, tax returns and modern life, including relationships and friendships and so on that are based on, uh, well, these days computers, but even in his day about letters and railways, um, are very different from the rhythm of life dictated by the harvest and the seed time and so on, you know. So I... I think I have to get near John Henry Newman. And I love the way he explained things and answered questions that modern man was asking rather than the questions that medieval man was asking. Uh, and now we've done even more than Newman knew, but he kind of assumed we might do it, like fly through the air and land on the moon. I find his explanations and inspiration terrific and his poetry unsurpassed. Absolutely brilliant. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you today, Jana. And if uh, anyone listening, if you're interested in um, Jana's talks, it's catholichistorywalks.com, I believe the website. Um, fantastic walks around London. And I'll continue to pray and discern, um, you know, what would help to share Catholic heritage in the most beautiful and glorious way possible, giving God all the glory. We have such great history in our country and the more that we can bring it to life, uh, to share the faith with others and also to um, to shine light on the beautiful heritage. Any any last thoughts, Joanna, on, on this topic of Catholic heritage, which you love so dearly? Um, I, I love your enthusiasm, Robert. Yeah. Yes, I would like to say, you know, doing a podcast like this, uh, obviously I'm sort of sounding rather pushy and bossy. I imagine people <laughs> think, gosh, he sounds ghastly. <laughs> Honestly, it's gentler and more beautiful than this. And I have to say, so many of... The walks I've been involved with, either officially leading them or some family gathering, have included the most precious moments. I, I, I remember, for example, the one London walk. It just providence. It happened. It, it, it was an evening and it was the day that uh, little Prince George, uh, Prince William's oldest son, was born. And we prayed outside Buckingham Palace. We prayed at our father and three Hail Marys and glory be for our country and its future, for the little boy who would be born, that he may be a Christian. You know, that was you can't put a price on that kind of lovely shared experience. And again, other people were with us, you know, who just tagged on. It, it was lovely. So think of the beautiful, unexpected moments that you get for evangelization. Um, I, I would just have to say, honestly, I sound rather bosh bossy and pushy. I was going to say boshy, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't, it isn't like that. And I would love, really love to lead any group. I mean, contact me by email. People contact you, Robert, and you can pass on names and stuff. Mm -hmm. I really do 
love leading groups. And, and I do want to emphasize, it's, it's easier than we think. It's gentler than we think. And above all, Catholics have a sense of being at the heart of things. We understand the story of our country because we understand it's a story of God's providence and of faith. Every country, this is the way Almighty God made us, every country has got its own faith story. I remember being so moved when Africans were telling me about the missionaries who'd come to their land and they, they were so moved and so thrilled by telling me about this, you see. And now the church there is absolutely booming. Now we need to tell the same thing about our country and it's a story in progress. We are part of it. And when Africans feel they're part of it and the church there is booming. But here, we too are part of a glorious story going all the way back. And from here, yes, the faith has gone to other lands. So God will expect us to use that and to do it joyfully. So come and join in the fun. Thank you so much, John. And I'm just qualifying that I'm saying hidden before. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I think hidden is probably the wrong word. It's, you know, our Catholic history is there. It's in plain sight. And you know, for many topics, they're not well known, and it's it's bringing to light to, to to you know, let, letting light shine on many of these wonderful stories and sharing those with 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 so many other people. We we have these incredible riches, and it's how do we share those riches and, and make them well known? I think that's really the emphasis of this podcast, and and also your work doing the Catholic Heritage Tours. So, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to join speak with you on the pulse today um it's great to be recording on this and i look forward to continuing to pray and discern how we can share our catholic heritage in the uk to as many people as possible thank you so much for listening and may god bless you